Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills Podcast. This week we look at the last half of Exodus 3, and Pastor Alex and I are going to do our best to open that can of worms. If you've got things you want to know about Exodus or our other sermon series or podcasts, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. From Bo on that is, that's a very podcasty song that he helped make. So it's, yeah, good times. I, I like that glass shatter at the end. That's, you like that? It's a cool effect. Might be uh, chimes, actually. But oh, is that what that is? It sounds like. It's all the like, same. I doubt we shattered glass to make that happen. I'm sure we played the chimes. Yeah, not so much. So this week we're going to look at the idea of I am. We're going to unpack I am in a couple different ways, which sounds like a weird sentence to say unless you're a Someone that goes to church, right? Yeah. We're going to unpack I am in a couple different ways. Like, what, what is it? Yeah. That sentence doesn't make any sense. So let me read the verses that go with it. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? This is Exodus 30, verse 13. And then God says this famous saying in verse 14, two different ways. God says to Moses, I am who I am, and in Hebrew that is Ehyeh Asher Ehyeh. And then he said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, I am, or the word Yahweh there, has sent me to you. So, I am. Yeah. Make sense of it for me, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see you guys next week yeah. on the podcast. Because I'm never coming back. No, uh, yeah, we have... God revealing his name and in the, the I am, the Yahweh, um, it's it's really interesting to me that uh, that term is Yahweh is not what was actually pronounced to right. Moses at the time. It's just the, the, what do we call it, the tetragrammaton or something? The tetragrammaton, yeah. Grammaton, yeah. yeah. Uh, just the, these five or four letters, yod heh vav hey, and yeah. then we've, we've taken the word Adonai or Lord and, and put those vowels in and, and come up with this idea of Yahweh. Right. Uh, but the idea is God is uh, giving himself a name because before this point, it was always, God always presented himself as, I'm the God of your fathers or I'm the God of Abraham or I'm the right. God of Jacob. But now to Moses, he reveals himself in a new way. Right. Hey, I have a name, but my name is not like Bob or John. It's I am. Right. Which, if we really broke it down, the word I am makes no sense. Right. Just eternally existent? Is that what sure. we're going for here? Sure. I mean, well, there's a couple different directions you can go with it. Because if, if we were to say this today, like if I walked up to somebody on the streets and I said, what's your name? And the, let's say the, the flaming shopping cart starts talking to me or something. You know, just <laughs> something crazy. And I, I'm like, whoa, that shopping cart's on fire, but it's not burning up. And I walk over to it and the shopping cart starts speaking to me. And the shopping cart says... B, yeah. In English, I'm going. What do you mean, B? Like, or you know? But no, it's talking about the verb be, which we would think of it as I am. I am right. is a right. connection to be or is yeah. or was or were. So when you get to translating this from the Hebrew into the English, 
we don't really know what to do with it. That's part of why you'll notice that there's always a connection. When it says, I am who I am, you'll notice there's there's usually a little right footnote number there, and you drop to the bottom of the page, and it, one of them says, I am what I am. That's another way to read that. So either I am who I am, or I am what I am, or I will be what I will be. Yeah. And that makes no sense. Yeah. So if you really start to think about it, you just go, wait, wait, God just said B. What's your name? B. Wait, what? I, I exist. Yeah. And and we get a little bit of help from John 8 when, when Jesus is talking. It says, before Abraham was born, ego a me. Right. So I am, just using that that B verb. And this is, you know, my kids are in school right now, so they're learning conjugation. So all the, the B verb is just conjugated like sure. am, past tense, was, present tense, am, right. first person, third person, you know, plural, singular, right. singular. That's all the same thing. Right. It's just that word of like the state of existing. Right. And, you know, you just threw a, a go, a me in there. So that's the Greek version in the Septuagint of that section. So when Jesus says that, they all pick up stones to kill him. And I've had multiple right. people over the years be like, why are they so mad? Because he just he said, just God. <laughs> he just used the name of God from Exodus chapter three. They're like, oh, I didn't even. Right. Because because he used up. he used the present tense. I am, you know, when, when they were saying. He was talking about Abraham and knowing Abraham, right. you know, being aware of Abraham, and they're like, Abraham, you know, existed a long time ago, and he's like, you're not even fifty years old. How do you know Abraham? Right, and he's like, well, before Abraham was, he didn't say I was or I was there. He said I am, I right. exist, and we know that he was making the claim to be God one because he uses the same words, and two because sure. that claim was was a capital offense, so they got ready to kill him. Right, yeah, which but, which would be a good thing to stone someone for unless they're telling the truth. Right. Right. Which he happens to be telling the truth just, as, as just, we know. Just so happens. Spoiler. Okay. <laughs> so the, the idea of I am as I am, or I, I will be what I will be the other part of this. So we're talking about, he's the eternally existent one. That's, that's, you know, eternally existing one. That's perfect. That, that totally spells it out. But also for him to say, I will be what I will be or something along that line starts to give this idea that, He's also self-existent. He doesn't need anything else. Uh, and so the part of what this is asking us to wrestle with for the rest of the scriptures really is he doesn't need us. Right. He needs nothing. Right. He doesn't need any of creation at all. It's not just no. us. Creation is uh, fully his to create and then exist outside of yeah. if he wants. And that's what he does, except yeah. he decides not to exist outside of it. And he sometimes decides to exist inside of it and show us it, show us himself, you know, in the midst of these, like whether it's through a burning bush or whether it's through walking with human beings or whether it's through the Holy Spirit indwelling Christians. And you just go, he doesn't need any of this. So what is he doing? Why is he doing this? And that's the question that we really can't fully answer. But the idea for me that I like to think about is I need things to survive, right? Mm -hmm. I need food. I need sleep. I need, you know, I need to work out. I need to, you know, I, I need relationships in my life or else I fall apart. I need, uh, you know, to take care of myself in a number of different ways. If I don't do those things, I, I slip, I fall apart. He doesn't need any of it. Mm -hmm. And he, that's the only being in, in the entire universe that doesn't need anything else. And that's just, that starts to trip me out a little bit and go, whoa, that's crazy. Here's this God who's just so everything that his answer is just uh, be, I right. am. Right. And I, I think that points to like, our minds are so limited even to just language. Yeah. Like it is, you, you meet people who know other languages, like like Japanese has a lot of words for like feelings that 
we would have to explain with like a paragraph. They just have a word for it. I can't think of any off the top. That's of why head. they're so emotionally distant. Yeah, there you go. Sorry. Uh, but they're just, you know, there are other, we like our language helps us understand things. And it's hard for us to understand things that we don't have a specific word for. Right. And God is, is so far there outside of that language that when he brings himself down to a level that he can express himself with language, the best for us to understand is just, I am right. Just I exist. And that's, that's basically all you can understand of me in, in that, in the, in the name sense, not in the sense that like, Oh God, it's so, un- I'm not going there. Like God's so un- unknowable. He just accommodates right. scripture to us. Um, if you're familiar with the accommodating view, right. but uh, instead just when asked, what is your personal name? He's like, listen, this is what you can handle. And you've already said this a couple of times, and I think it's so huge. God is revealing himself to Moses in this moment. And from here on out, this is the defining name and purpose of who he is. Right. So Israel has to wrestle with that idea from now on. Now, in fairness, this name does appear before Exodus. But my understanding is it's not actually used in the text until this moment. So God's introducing Moses to this name. And then I think as Moses and others are kind of building the entire Pentateuch or portions of the Pentateuch, whatever that looks like, we've talked about that before on the podcast, Mm -hmm. the name slips back into some of the previous chapters. It doesn't show up in a lot in Exodus or sorry, in Genesis, but it does show up a couple of times there. Mm -hmm. But from here on out, it shows up all over the place. And so Mm -hmm. every time you see the word Lord, with four capital letters, L-O-R-D, and you'll notice that the the O-R-D are all smaller than the L. That is the signal for you to notice as a reader that's the tetragrammaton. That's this moment where you've got the word Yahweh, and, and that's our understanding of the word showing up in the text. Right, right. That's the use of the personal name versus, you know, it, it's interesting kind of, again, how we use language mm-hmm. in that we have so many words for for God and so many names for God even in Scripture um, that are sometimes used for God and sometimes used for false gods. Uh, like Elohim is a good example right. of that. Um, yeah, so I think it's good to def- differentiate. I think sometimes it's just a stylistic difference, but I think there's an argument to be made that um, like the golden calf was for Elohim slash Yahweh. Sure. Because, you know. With, in their minds, yeah. Yeah, in their minds uh, based on the use of that term. But yeah. Yeah, but uh, I, I think that comes also from just the the Hebrew tradition of protecting the name, right? And I think sometimes we we forget about that, and we do. You know, I often refer to God as God, sometimes as Lord, uh, but those are both titles, right? You know, uh, I think the how how important that name was to uh, traditional Hebrews. I, I think there's something we can pick up from that, like how important God's name was. To the point that they wouldn't even really pronounce it. You know, we would tell stories in our Hebrew class about like how they would write Adonai or they would take out the vowels and that's how we end up with Yahweh because sure. we don't actually know what it is. Uh, even to my my Hebrew professor talking about um, when they were making alphabet soup, you know, like the yeah. that creamy uh, tomato-y soup with the yeah. letters in it. They were making the Hebrew version of that and they were like really the secular Hebrew society was really concerned that 
accidentally in your soup, you could spell the name of God. Right. And you could like accidentally stir in how it could come like God evil. And they're like, well, what are we going to do? I don't know. Well, turns out that a couple letters have like different strokes. And yeah. so you couldn't make it. And, and so they're just like, oh, we just won't make that letter. And, right. and then that can't happen. But that was secular Judaism was even thinking about that. That's how important the name was. And sometimes we get we get flippant and you hear a lot in our culture like, oh, oh my God, I can't right. believe this. And you're like, oh, man. Right. like, Or the dust up of OMG. Yeah. yeah. And even in those, those aren't his proper name. That's not the name we're talking about here. Yeah. But that's just the human, you know, the English understanding of it. Yeah, no, that's good. I, and I think for us to process, so what, what that means is, especially a number of the schools of the Judaism, you know, sect or religion, they believe so strongly that this name can be used in vain that they'd rather just not use it in right. case you're using it in vain. Yeah, just in case. Like another big thing that we talked about in my Hebrew class is what if you type the name of God on your computer and then delete it? Right. Like you've just erased the name of God. Sure. What if you write the name of God on a whiteboard and erase it? Well, you've just erased the name of God. And right. so that's why they would use Adonai or even... um in Hebrew, the name Hashem, uh, Hashem. Yeah, you just hear all the time, like Hashem. You know, I was praying to Hashem. I was praying to the name. Yep. Just to even not approach. I, I think we can, in in our understanding of who God is, can take that too far to right. dename God. Um, but I think there's some value in protecting the the name as a representative of the identity of God. Right. And so we have a ton of authors and superstar pastors in our day who, and I, I say that somewhat flippantly on purpose, if you're, if you're rolling your eyes right now, it's superstar pastors. Yes, I'm with you. I agree. Uh, but, you know, they're the ones that sell the lots of books and things. Uh, but they use the name I Am to sell books and to try to paint an idea. So I, I'm thinking of Joel Osteen's book, The Power of I Am. The Power of I Am. Now, I have not read the book, just to be clear. I did flip through it briefly to make sure that I'm, I'm not, totally out of left field here. He does talk a little bit about this idea, the name of God, but then spends a fair amount of the book saying, you have the power of I am inside of you, which sounds great if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower right. of Jesus, you're like, I could do whatever I want. And some of the people that buy that book, I guarantee you don't actually follow Jesus. So that's a bit of a dangerous idea. But he's saying that you have the power of I am in you, which good theology would say, We've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is inside of us. The power of God is inside of you. And by you surrendering yourself to the power of God, you are therefore the power of I am right. on this planet as his ambassador, his imager, all those things. And we've said that. We, we're all for that idea. If it's a self-help book, which tends to be how Joel's teaching goes, that's a little wrong. And I say little, very, very, very wrong. Right. It's, it's the idea of like, okay, so if I have the power in me, uh, how am I using that power? Am I working, right. God, use me in your power to do your work right. versus like I wield this power so I can do what I think is right? And that's, uh, I don't know, who were who the guys in Acts that were like, hey, hey, Paul, uh, let us buy this spirit that <laughs> so so we can do the things that you are doing. Right. Uh, I think. There's I, a couple of different people, but yeah. Yeah. Simon the, the magician says that to Peter. That's right. And there's a couple of people that go after Paul in various cities. Who are like the seven sons of Sceva? That, that's a good one. Yeah. That one's great because they, you know, just whoop up on the dude. Yeah. I know Paul and I know Jesus. I don't know who you are. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's kind of that, 
that mindset behind there of like, I want that power. I want to wield that power. It's, oh, we're not really wielding the power. Right. Which is one of the major differences between what we consider good theology and all of the bad theologies of the world. So like Buddhism and Hinduism, for example, part of what differentiates Christian, Christianity from those two is that they're just saying, if you just become one with yourself and one with the universe, you'll be able to wield this power. And we're saying, we're not wielding any power. We're surrendering to it and letting it move through us. Or if you like watch Star Wars, the idea of like, when I become one with the force, I'll be able to do these things. So people think of the Holy Spirit in that way. Like I wasn't letting the spirit flow through me. So I wasn't able to do that. That's not really, you're not wielding some power, some force. You're surrendering to God's will and letting God's will work through you. That's a way different teaching than how the rest of our world deals with it. Right, right. It would be like if the if the force, which is, a, I think is just a terrible illustration of the spirit. Absolutely. As presented in Star Wars. It would be like if the force was doing something and you're just allowing it to be used through you versus like, oh, yes, now I wield the force. Now I can... Right. do what what I think is good. So, you know, there's this, I, I think human-centered, we like that because we like to think that we're good and that if, you know, if we watch Star Wars, uh, 99% of us would be like, oh, yeah, I would totally be on the light side. I'm a Jedi. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Jedi. But, but I think, you know, a lot of our hearts, myself included, would be like, wow, I have this power and I know some really cool ways that I would use it. How did I become a Sith Lord? Yeah. I'm a Sith. I didn't even realize it. And to all the non-Star Wars listeners, they're like, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. You know, Mark included. <laughs> right now. Um, you, were, you were talking yeah, about another one. Rob Bell. Yeah, Rob Bell in his... Uh, with no shortage of controversy with him. I know, I know. It's, it's been a while. I actually read something recently about what he's up to. But anyway, uh, I don't know if you remember those NUMA videos. I do. And some of those were actually really good. Agreed. Um, and really challenging. Well, he did one where he was talking about the name of God. And only being letters, and he was talking about how he thinks the letters sound like breath. Yeah. Like yod hey vav hey sounds like breath. It sounds like breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. And he was he was kind of going off on this tangent, and this is kind of where some of these things get a little dicey when right. you when you start like you grab a a truth, but then you make the jump to say like, well, what that means is this. And it's like, well, how did you make that jump? And it can sound really good. So what he's, what he's talking about, the jump he makes is like, maybe God's name is simply just breath. And everybody has that breath in them. Everybody is declaring who God is. He, he uses the phrase, he goes, maybe while someone is sitting across the table saying, there is no God, they are breathing in and out. They're saying, yod, hey, vav, hey. Right. In, out, in, out. And in the very same time they're saying there is no God, they are proclaiming God's name. And where he takes that is just kind of a, there's a bit of, there's a, bit of a jump there to say like, yes. I don't think what God is trying to express in his name is simply just breathing in wind right. so that everybody's declaring. Now I think you can get that get to that similar point other places like, yeah, the, the whole host of the earth declares the glory of God. Right. But that doesn't mean that when I am worshiping something terrible with my mouth that I'm declaring the glory of God. Right. And that's not what God is trying to present in his name. His name isn't just breath or wind. And it's not something that that I I wield. Right. You know, like, oh, I I have this name of God in me. That's not really what God's trying to reveal of, of no. himself in Exodus chapter 3. Well, and if it was, he would have done that with everyone. 
He would have yeah. said that to every single person in the whole Bible, and he's saying it to Moses here. And I think it's interesting is clearly the Israelites know some aspect of the name. Otherwise, when he goes back to say, and they're like, what's the name of the God you're talking to? If he just says, I am, they'd all just laugh unless they know this name, which is why the Genesis connection is interesting. Maybe this is a name that either has been revealed or some aspect of it's been revealed before. But the downside to Rob's teaching and Joel's teaching in a number of places, and I'm not throwing all of Joel's teaching under the bus, but most of it, and that you know aspects of that book or aspects of the teaching you just did, is we can make the case that every human being is good with God. Right. That's not what the story of the Bible tells us. We all received the breath of God to, to become living beings. God breathed into the clay and became human beings. That's the story. But that same breath becomes the same breath that utters untruths and the same breath that leads to the, you know, the, the fall of man in chapter three or the, the random uh, acts of violence and lying throughout Genesis four and 11, all the way, you know, through. And then, so the idea isn't that his breath is just constantly breathing out of you. So if someone's like declaring there is no God, they're not declaring God with the statement. There is no God. That doesn't make any sense. It, it falls apart philosophically. And I, and I think Rob's, clever and he likes teaching things that make you go oh that's really cool but it doesn't mean it's right and that's a problem right i mean we used to say when when he was a little bit more at his peak in evangelicalism meaning we actually listened to him right and hesitantly it, now you don't really hear from him at all right. at least in our circles we used to always say he asks the right questions but doesn't always come up with the right answers right i, I think that was a fair assessment kind of of how i felt like he did push a lot of buttons and I think evangelicalism at the time was was going through a, a stressful time, as they are now. As, I haven't noticed. Thanks, Alex. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, you're totally right. And I think what was what was good is he started asking some of those questions, uh, but but as a result, I think found the answers in in what today people are asking similar questions and finding their answers in deconstruction. Sure. Right. They're they're asking these questions, and as a result, there. I mean, I've. I follow a couple people on some social media platforms uh, that are going through deconstruction and are very vocal about it on their social media. And many of them are landing in universalism. Right. And this idea that, you know, I mean, really this is a big deal that evangelicalism has become a white social power movement. And as a result, we should deconstruct that, decolonialize our our faith that's something i've been hearing a lot right we're going to decolonize our faith we're going to deconstruct our faith and realize that god doesn't need to punish people god doesn't need human suffering to appease his wrath therefore all humans are going to be saved right and that's kind of where even the joel steen but the rob bell start right start leading down that path of like hey we're all just breathing the name of god here right. we're, we're all there we're all as, you know, God is aspects all it's all in us. So universalism, which is a the the pushback on neo Calvinism or typical reformed Calvinism, the idea that human beings their suffering satisfies the wrath of God in some way is a valid pushback that needs to happen to some extent. The way that they get to the answer is way wrong. And, and that's what we're saying. We'll, we'll keep saying that over and over and over again. Good theology leads you to understand God's wrath has been satisfied by the Savior on the cross. That's the, the whole concept there of penal substitutionary atonement, whether it's, you know, 
whether you're just looking at that or you're adding in the Christus Victor idea or, you know, uh, other, even some of the other flavors of the atonement that, that are less savory, in the end lead us to a place where Jesus is the one who did the job. God's not sitting there dangling you over the fires of hell, you know, trying to tickle right. your heart to believe in him. He's made the statements. He's given us everything we need. In yeah. some ways, the choice is yours. And yeah. in other ways, the spirit is leading you toward a choice that brings you to this place. And so all of these valid concerns from individuals, and I'm, some of the people you're thinking of, I, I, I follow them as well, and I know what, they're, what you're talking about. It's a difficult time because people are really struggling with the construct of much of evangelicalism. And I, I'm okay with that because there's some parts of us that are pretty dark and some spider webs exist that need right. to be dealt with. And we should ask questions. Great. You know, yeah. and, th and that's where, like, again, going back to Rob Bell, like he was asking some very valid questions right. and starting to poke and prod at uh, what, what I think was comfortable Christianity. What he was noticing is kind of the like, you know, the cultural Christianity that says, Hey, you can, you can be a Jesus follower and go to church on Sunday and that's all you need to do. Right. And while well, you've checked the box because you prayed a prayer that somebody told you to pray because you didn't want to go to hell. And it just became like, okay, fine. I'm comfortable. I'm a Christian. I do mostly good things. Uh, I think he was really challenging that. Right. And I, I think it's good to challenge that, but that should drive us to the word of God. Right not to like the humanistic understanding of, well, this, this makes sense logically to me. I'm going to pursue that instead. Yeah. It's a better understanding of the gospel and a better, under, a, a more, what am I thinking of? Well-rounded way to understand the gospel, which really leads me to kind of the last thing I wanted to throw out in this, this podcast is there's something out there called name theology and some aspects of it are pretty messed up. So you want to be a little bit careful, but part of it is based off of, this passage right here, and then it leads us to the, the Ten Commandments. And what is said is, you will not bear my name in vain. So back to what we talked about a little bit ago, the Jews started to believe that if you spoke his name in a vain way, you've broken that commandment and you deserve death. Therefore, they just didn't use the name at all. Which right. is not what God is inviting yeah. his people yeah. to. You can't speak it in vain if you never speak it at right. all. Right. And what he's inviting what's interesting is in this story, it's so clear, even to to Jewish non believers, people who are Jewish in faith but not Christians yet, they they read this and they just go, God is inviting us into relationship. So if he's inviting you into relationship, he would want you to use his name. So I think a better way to understand you will not bear my name in vain, or you will not we we've always heard it you know, don't use the Lord's name in vain. So we've always thought of his OMG is bad. Right. Which is true to some extent. Like, don't just use his name flippantly. But I wouldn't limit it to vocalizing. Exactly. Yeah. Which is the good part of, that, of name theology. The good idea of understanding name theology is that we are bearing the name of God. So for Israel, Isra and El, El there, the name of God, yeah. right, is struggles with God or wrestles with God. What God's saying is I've named you Israel, and I want you to bear my name well. I want people to look at you and know that you're different because you're following me. Yeah. Israel does a terrible job of that through the rest of the story here, right? Yeah. I mean, while they're on the mountain, we're going to get to this in a few chapters, something's happening down at the base of the mountain, not so good. <laughs> and it leads to some significant consequences. But the idea is we are supposed to be bearing God's name well. And so part of, I'm going to really make this as simplistic as I can right here. The good aspect of name theology is this. If you're calling yourself a Christian, live like a Christian. You're bearing the name of God. You are saying, I believe that Christ 
is king in my life. I'm a little Christ. That's what the word Christian means. And then if you're going to then go and be evil in a number of ways, you're not bearing the name well. Right. So what, how, how we best live out that commandment, and like I said, I'm super simplistic here. You know, We could go on for hours about this, but we're not going to. The idea is you bear his name, bear it well. And if I'm not going to bear his name well, then I probably shouldn't be bearing his name. So I'm careful with what I say to people and how I live my life and what I'm trying to promote to people. But at the end of the day, he's my mark. He's the one that I'm, I'm believing in. He's, I believe he is the self-sufficient one. Mm-hmm. I believe he is the eternal one that always exists. And because that's true, I trust him with my day-to-day. I trust him with my finances. I trust him with my marriage. I trust him with my work. I trust him with my parental obligations and everything else. Like Everything you have in your life, you're should, you should be bearing his name in those places. And I think that's a healthy way to understand name theology because when you bring the name of God into something, you are asking him to lead in his power with his spirit and, and all of those types of things, which is a beautiful concept. Uh, so I'll just leave it there on the positive yeah. ends of it, not the negative side. Right, of it. right. And and what you're describing is not a radical idea. Like this no. is all over our culture. You see all the time, especially I think sports is a good example of of players or, or coaches. You know, like if I say Urban Meyer and you're a, yeah. you're a football fan right now, you know, like he was he was the Jaguars coach, and they weren't any good. That was part of it. But then he got in trouble for doing some things off the field, and, yes. and you got to think that's that's definitely part of him getting fired. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's it's not radical to think like you know the the Jaguars say like that is not appropriate behavior for somebody who represents an organization. This guy can't coach football anymore because of what happened in a bar, right? That. That happens all over our world. Right. But then sometimes we get to Christianity and we're like, I can call myself a Christian, use that title, mm. and my life is 0% different than before I used that title or than somebody who won't use that title. Now, we're, we're not asking for like 100%. You have to be perfect. No. Uh, but, and God's not asking for that. Right, right, right. Yeah. That, and that's why we're not asking for it. But right. But you should represent it well. Yeah. And part of representing it well is being humble enough to admit, I'm not perfect. Right. So you admit when you make a mistake. You go back to people and you apologize and you just say, if it weren't for Christ, I'd be dead. And that, thank the Lord that I have Christ in me. It's his name that bear that I bear. It's, it's his power that I'm not ashamed of. So I'm going and I'm living for him in the day to day. That's yeah. a way better way to understand Christian. That's great.